The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance on News Talk. Well, now I've made my way down Grafton Street to Bewley's. Why am I here? Well, it's to mark a big occasion. It's the 30th year of the Bewley's Big Coffee Social for Hospice and. One of the men who is supporting it hugely is Brendan Gleeson, uh, actor and so much more. Brendan, good morning. Good morning, Pat. How did you get involved in this? Um, initially, my folks um, passed away in the hospice three years between uh, my mom and dad. And uh, the experience was um, eye-opening for me in the sense that uh, the life affirmation that was... Um, within the hospice service was it was life changing really uh, and it made the passing um, part of a natural course of events obviously no grief will always come but um, it was so well managed and there was such a sense of uh, life and the quality of life within the place that was encouraged and reinforced that um, I wanted to be a part of it from then on so Bewley's have been absolutely amazing uh, sponsors. They got there well before me. I think this is 30 years now they've been involved in the sponsorship and, you know, just wholesale kind of backup of the hospice movement. Um, They're a fantastic institution anyway, Bewley's. They always have been. Um, so it's a real pleasure. Like it's a real, real pleasure to be involved in yeah. this. Now, I've been here many times over the years in Bewley's, but my earliest memories go back to having uh, cherry buns and coffee when I was a student <laughs> in UCD. I used to come along here uh, and enjoy the hospitality. Yeah. Uh, and, and do you remember they used to put the trays of cakes out there and trust you to tell the waitress uh, how many cakes you'd had. I know. I, I was never... I, I used to come in and feel slightly alien in the place. I never had quite <laughs> the disposable income um, to be going into partaking of the cake so much. Um, and I, my mother would be here consistently. Uh, and it always felt really sort of old school and slightly writerish. You know, yeah. that, like, the, you, you're going to imagine... I think there were quite a few people here posing as James Joyce. <laughs> uh, but I... I my... my deepest memory of Bewley's was um, really doing the treaty uh, we filmed the scene here in 91 1991 and uh, Tony Doyle and myself, I was playing Collins and he was playing Arthur Griffith and he was looking intensely at the teapot in a way that I found uh, I said god I'm learning from this guy, like it's just the int- <laughs> no particular eye contact but it was all looking, at, and of course he had his lines written on the back of the teapot <laughs> <laughs> but the place, you know, just in terms of the institution and how it felt so appropriate, there was very little set dressing. You just had to be here and you were already, you know, back in yeah. 1921. And um, you prompted me to ask a question. I was going to ask you because, of course, on Monday we'll have the 100th anniversary of the death of Michael Collins. Yeah. And uh, you played in the series The Treaty. Uh, Liam Neeson went on then in the Neil yeah. Jordan. To, you always looked more like Collins than <laughs> Liam did. Yeah, uh, that was an odd thing because I went in not knowing who I was auditioning for and I was only barely full time anyway and I lost my rag with Jonathan Lewis because I said I wasn't told I could have prepared an awful lot better way and actually the losing of my temper got me the part and then I was told well you don't look anything like him so how are we going to and they actually were talking about pinning my ears back which were un-Collins-esque and I had to get a wig yeah, so but the shape of your head kind of... Uh, something m- weird happened, yeah. yeah. It, did, it did kind of transform. And I, I had been reading Tim Pat Coogan's book for about a year beforehand, before it ever came up anyway. Uh, so I kind of felt 
mm. pre-armed in the sense of knowing that version of him anyway. But does an actor feel a sense of responsibility uh, playing an icon like that? Absolutely, yeah. And everybody in that, in that, the treaty was the first time it had been spoken about. Mm. Like we were, obviously nobody was ever taught it at school, about, particularly with the Civil War. And um, the treaty itself had never, it was the foundation for our state and had never really been explored. No, we um, never got that far in O'Connell School. Never. No, never. And with, I've just finished a voiceover for, um, for a three-episode um, examination documentary R- Ruan McGann has, doing, uh, has done brilliantly, I think, on the Civil War. Um, so revisiting all that stuff now, uh, I'm not surprised. That we, did, we weren't taught it in school. It was still extraordinarily raw and still extraordinarily inflammatory. Even now I find myself being infuriated on both sides. And it's very educational. So I can still remember the gravitas when we did the treaty. Everybody came in. Barry McGovern came in as Dev. It was like there was a whole series. Everybody who came in, um, it was an eye-opener for me to see how seriously everybody took yeah. it and that sense of gravitas, as you say. There was a real feeling that this was important. Yeah, um, because there is an onus on the filmmaker as well uh, to try and tell it fairly, even in a, on a topic that's so d- divisive. Yeah. I mean, Alan Rickman playing Dev in the other movie... Um, I thought he was great. He was, I have to be honest with you. I thought he was brilliant. Mm, yeah. uh, and, but he did. It's, you're always, <laughs> you know, it's just, the thing is, it's 100 years now. We have to start talking about these things. It's uncomfortable because we don't like to mm. see ourselves in a savage light. But everybody yeah. has savagery in them. And we have to address it because it's never that far away from the surface, as we all know. And I think it's really, like, it's that particular uh, thing was a co-production. I, remember, I actually saw... Um, a clip somebody sent uh, I think Terry Hayden sent me a clip of uh, a little piece that was done on the, the treaty uh, yesterday the day before where Jonathan Lewis talked about it being a co-production between England and Ireland to try and that he found that it was very important mm-hmm. that they would show both sides of that yeah. uh, so I mean there is there is it is really important and Ruan's documentary what I found extraordinary was the lengths to which he went to to present both sides good and bad yeah. Um, harking back to the, the reason for our conversation, which is uh, hospice care, um, the first time you and I talk about matters in caring and medical was on The Late Late Show. Right. And you were incensed at yeah. the treatment that I think it was your mother was yeah. receiving. At and my mother in law, and previously. I hadn't been. Um I hadn't been aware, like the way most people don't, you know, don't wish to be aware, I suppose, about what was happening in the health service. And that's a while ago, Pat. It's a long yeah. time ago. And the issues don't seem to have been um, solved. I think they've been addressed in various ways, but not solved. You see, I thought that in that contribution you made that night, and it, you know, if there was such a thing as going viral at the time, it certainly yeah. went as viral as it could. I thought that you lit a fire under them, but... Well, I think it's, you know, I, 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 it's easier said than done, but I do think, say, for example, you know, coming back to why we're here, and I was just chatting about this during the morning, we're launching this coffee morning now, so anybody who wants to go out and just host a coffee morning, you get a pack from the hospice, and you go and people, you get, people come in, you get free coffee, and then people donate to the hospice. It's a brilliant sort of a setup. But the difference between hospice service, and the, one, and the reason that it, it caught me so viscerally when my mom and dad went through this service was because ultimately the prioritization of the patient is total yeah. the patient is everything and it seems to me that 
whatever systems are in place within the health board, the patient isn't the, the top priority. And they should be. Well, absolutely. That's what it's supposed to be for. Um, and so it seems to me that an awful lot could change systemically if people were allowed to say that all things stop with the patient, all information is shared about the patient, it's one integrated human being, that's we, this, is our, this is what we do. And that uh, a lot of the systemic issues can be, if the, the, if the patient goes to the top of the tree, I, think it's, I don't think it's just hospice care, I don't think it's just hospital care, you know, I think it's ringing up trying to solve a problem about anything where you get told press so one, two, three, four. So everyone's focus should be, we are going to do the very best we can for this person. Not just that. Our duty to, our, our only raison d'etre is that person. Not that that person, like the banks are doing at the moment, people, if only we had no people, we'd have a great, we'd have a great country. I mean, it's catastrophic. It's right across the board, any, any, any system you want to talk about. And I think what's happening at the moment is that there is huge outreach now from the hospice. These are masters of palliative care. They're masters of dealing with crisis when somebody finds out that they're terminally ill. I mean, there's no bigger challenge. And these people, with volunteerism and with expertise, are masters of managing it, of managing the families around that, the collateral damage, of educating further into the community, of home care, going into, the, into people's homes, allowing them to live. Yeah. There was a time when the hospice was, you went in, you never came out. That's not the case anymore. People sometimes can be allowed to go home. So, I, I remember passing the door as a child yeah. of Our Lady's Hospice in yes. Hell's Cross, and yeah. it used to have a sign, Our Lady's Hospice for the Dying. I know. And even as a child, I thought, I wouldn't want to be going in there. The no, message I know. on the door would not be terribly encouraging, shall Until we you went in the door. I went in, the first time I went into a hospice was my, Miss Griffin across the road went in and she went into Harl's Cross yeah. and I went over to my mum to see her and the first thing she said she was a howl I should have been in here years ago she said <laughs> <laughs> she, and it was like indicative of just how beautifully uh, things were organised around the person and it's about bringing the person back like it, it sounds I'm, you know grandiose I'm not trying to be grandiose I'm being really serious the idea that we would reprioritize the person yeah. I think would go huge, huge lengths towards solving a lot of our issues um, you know when I think about uh, what you're doing now and uh, giving your time as an actor who's much in demand over a hundred movies right but I'm going to go back a little bit further not all of them good <laughs> no comment <laughs> the first time I saw you was on the stage it was uh, not the first performance but it was when Brown Bread moved to the Olympia I think oh, it right. was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and you played Mr. Farrell Yes, and that was one of the funniest plays <laughs> I had ever seen, and that was. I think you might have still have been a school teacher. Did you have a voiceover on that? Over the I did a brief. The, uh, you did. It was brilliant. <laughs> Absolutely brilliant. And, and Charlie Bird was mentioned in the dispatches. Charlie Bird was in there as well. Yeah. <laughs> very very <laughs> funny yeah, bishop, play. Yeah. Uh, give, give 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 us back our bishop, but uh, no, I, I just yeah that was it was a great time because again it was bringing theatre to hopefully you know and really it did achieve it with the passion machine bringing theatre back to people who didn't go yeah. and suddenly they were coming and like and Paul Mercier must take so much I mean his uh, his writing his drive it was extraordinary and there were yeah. great times you know the, 
the St. Francis Saviour Hall turned into the SFX Centre. Uh, and with people ringing up looking for the sex centre and <laughs> but it was just I can still remember the acoustics in it it was yeah. just impossible mm. you know the thing, the, but we went then to Olympia we got very posh yeah no and, it was uh, terrific I mean yeah. the, the place literally rocked I was after. brilliant yeah. it, was, it was fantastic I presume that encouraged you though to, to finally throw in the teaching towel um, because yeah. I, mean, I, I did a bit of teaching in Bolton Street for a while, and it ultimately it was the repetitive nature, seeing my future unfold right. year after year, yeah. that kind of said, "No, I'm going to do something else." It kind of happened a little, a little bit similarly for me in that I was reaching a ten year, so I was in my, going into my tenth year teaching, and I could feel I that uh, there were a bunch of lads that I had kind of mentored all the way through. Um, that left that year and I suddenly had to start again and it was like doing the dishes kind of saying no I did these yesterday <laughs> uh, a little bit and I said okay I'll have to reinvent myself and I actually applied to go down to Ennis I thought maybe I could join Druid or something to yeah. be part of that just to try and give myself a bit of a kick and then um, something we got a nomination I think for something um, for, for, for home I think it was and I kind of said, look, what do you need? I was 34 and made the jump then. But I enjoyed teaching. Like, I really did. I liked the lads that I was teaching. And, uh, you know, it was, I, I, would never, I would never feel particularly it was a step up. It was just definitely a very different, yeah. different step. You were known as uh, Mr. Gleason or Sir or probably <laughs> some nickname because every teacher had a, had yeah, a nickname. I know, I know but uh, I, stared them, share, I, no? I stared them down. I gave them the hard <laughs> stare. <laughs> Um, your career has been so fantastic uh, in so many ways, but, but uh, probably the highlight for many of the people that you meet here in Bewley's would be Mad Eye. Oh, yeah. I mean, to be in the Harry Potter franchise is a fantastic thing. I mean, even if you only walked on for 10 seconds, it gives you an immortality. It does, yeah. And there was a kind of like, I remember Larry Taube and. Terry Hayden, my, my kind of agent, saying, look, this would be for your grandkids and all this kind of stuff. And I say, yeah, yeah. And actually, the, re- the time I got the call, I was in the car, and my lads were in the car with me, and they were all mad Harry Potter. They used to, they used to buy, like, two different copies of the novel when it came out, because they couldn't, one of them couldn't wait for the other <laughs> fella to finish it. Uh, so they were kind of into it in a big way, and I said, who's this mad eye? What is, what is it? <laughs> And the place went ballistic, so I kind of there was no issue with that. I says okay, and it has become. It's a very, it's a very different. It's a bizarre kind of a world now. It has its. Yeah. It's more real than the real world at times. <laughs> yeah. it's but it's funny. I, I was looking at some of the stuff online uh, last night, and there were questions online. Is Mad Eye in Paddington? Not is Brendan Gleeson in Paddington? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you've taken on your own life. Now, the, the makeup job and all the rest, but do kids come up to you and recognize Not, you in the street as Mad Eye? No, no. They kind of, they, Knuckles gets more. Knuckles McGinty. Knuckles McGinty. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Knuckles gets, gets slightly more face recognition right. because Mad Eye's uh, eye mm. is thankfully. Although somebody said apparently there's a Lego. Uh, somebody saw a Lego one with a very large blonde wig, um, a figure of Mad Eye. Um, but no, it, 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 I was thankful for that in one way. The parents usually hoosh the kids across and sort of say, That's Mad Eye. Um, yeah. The kids are kind of disappointed see, because I don't have a magic eye. <laughs> um, in fact, both of them are compromised at the moment in terms of just being able to actually read the paper in front of me. But uh, no, it, they come up, but it's. Ah, it's been nice. They're, they're generally, a lot of the people now who read them first, of course, are in their 40s. Sure, yeah. It's, so that is weird. 
That that is weird. I mean, my own girls read them as little children, and yeah. now, and one of them, um, Nicole, I'll mention, she watches the movies all the time, again and again. She just, I've I've seen most of them, and they are an entertainment and a, a wonderful fiction. Um, I have to mention your new movie is coming out. Oh yeah, the Banshee of Inish Aaron. Aaron, is that how yeah. you pronounce it? I was yeah. wondering, you know, mixture of Aaron and Inish Ear, yeah, which is yeah. a real place, yeah. and Martin McDonough and Colin Farrell. Yeah. The three of you reunited. Yeah. Is it uh, kind of in Bruges <laughs> in the west of Ireland? Um, no, it's, it's absolutely not. But it's a two-hander really, isn't it? Uh, Colin and yourself. Not quite in the same... Kind of, but not quite in the same way. They're huge. Like, Kelly Condren has huge impact. There's, there's, the, the whole cast, I have to say, I've seen a screening of it, and I'm really, really proud of it. I'm really excited about it. It's very funny, it. by the way. I've only seen yeah. the trailer. And yeah. I laughed out loud. Yeah, but it's it's laughing through the clouds now. Yeah. There's like <laughs> I think it's brilliant. I, I do think it's a bit of a masterpiece. Um I told Martin that when I saw it. It's not gonna be everybody's mar- masterpiece. Uh but I think it's 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 brilliantly executed the way he his mind is I mean he's an extraordinary mind. Um uh, not always appreciated in his in his home country, but uh He's a brilliant writer, beyond, beyond uh, any shadow of a doubt. And this was a huge ask, um, what he's trying to do within it. Uh, it is very funny. It's ludicrous. And the momentum of the, thor- of the story is such that you can't help yeah. going with it. You but wouldn't know from the trailer, yeah. but it is set against the background of the Irish Civil War. Of the Irish Civil War, yeah. And, uh, and uh, what and brilliantly that, he yeah. did was he just allowed that to be context rather than at one stage I think he was playing with the idea of being more specific about it and he, lie, he just lies brilliantly hanging in the, in the background but it is about two friends who fall out so there's an obviously obvious kind of a synergy with that uh, and I, it's, it's almost impossible it's almost Beckettian the way that he takes something that is impossible to define just that two people are falling out and, and revolves an extraordinary story around it um, so I, I honestly think I'm, I was overjoyed to work with Colin and Martin again anyway. The cast is brilliant. I'm just telling you, there isn't a false note in it. Barry Keoghan is in it. There's a whole range of, you know, Gary Lydon. All, all the usual suspects are there in terms of just, they're absolutely astounding. And from, I, I just, it's one of those things where I didn't talk for 10 or 15 minutes afterwards without trying to just, trying to just uh, what did I just see here? So I'm very hopeful for it. Um, I'm not hopeful for it in any other way other than it reaches people because I know it's going to reach a load of people and then other people, I, you never know what's going to happen. I don't really care. I just know it's a brilliant piece of work. And they say never go back. But myself and Colin took up where we left off and we became very friendly uh, over in Bruges. It just, you know, we hit it off very well and Martin the same thing. So, yeah, I'm kind of thrilled about it. It's hugely cinematic, Pat, which is You know thing. that In Bruges is a film for the ages for many people. <laughs> it's so many people's favourite film and... Uh, Perhaps this will be. I'm, a I'm hoping so. Piece. In, in Bruges, kind of took a while to get going, though. To be honest with you, theatrically, yeah. it didn't happen, and and like it's going to be more difficult now because the cinemas, um, everybody's kind of seemingly reluctant a little bit to get back into cinemas. This is massively cinematic, and it's a when it does. It's coming out in October. I would really, really sort of encourage anybody who has any interest, particularly in his stuff. Like he's a huge fan base here. You know, obviously Colin does as well. But to go and see it in the cinema, it's, it's, he made it very deliberately, massively cinematic. And the place, Inishir and Aaron uh, and uh, Ackle, 
are magnificent. Yeah, I'm Absolutely really looking forward to it. Yeah. The teaser I got from the trailer has uh, whetted my appetite. Speaking of appetites, I can hear the coffee cups <laughs> clinking here in Bewley's. I'm gasping for a coffee, so we better remind people again yeah. of uh, the. this is the 30th uh, Bewley's Big Coffee Social. It's happening on the 22nd of September, yeah. and, and people can just run their own... And the idea morning. is that pe- people, now some people know because they've done it before, they haven't been able to do it during COVID, so they just, they host a coffee morning. You get a, go, you get a free pack, you get free coffee, you get sort of, you know, donation card um, boxes and things like that, and you host a few people around. It's a chance to get together and have a chin wag. Um, and Show off your banana bread baking <laughs> from the pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, your sour, the sourdough bread or whatever it was. Um, and just, and... Have a, just go and the whole thing about this every euro stays in the community like it's this is all local based and it's right across the country for all the hospices as well as St. Francis Hospice which is you know my yeah, specific local one, yeah. uh, local one there and you can go to the the website is hospicecoffeemorning.ie if you want to go to it um, there's a phone number that I'm sure you'd put up and all that sfh.ie is the St. Francis one and you do it for your local hospice and the, all the people anybody who's ever been touched by hospice knows what it's gone so go and have a laugh and try and make a few bob that's basically what we're hoping everybody will do Brendan Gleeson let's have a coffee thank you very much for joining us thanks Pat The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance on News Talk we appreciate it thank you